0: Welcome to the Retirement Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Greg Gonzalez. My goal for the podcast is to help you live a better life in retirement by giving you the tools and information you need in a language that you can understand. Every day as a financial advisor in St. Louis, Missouri, I'm talking with clients about their own journeys towards retirement, and many of them are already retired and enjoying the good life where every day is a Saturday. So this podcast is focused on those same conversations that I'm having with current clients over age 50 that are planning for either making that turn into retirement on the home stretch towards retirement, or maybe they're already retired and they're making sure that they have all the I's dotted and T's crossed so they can have a comfortable, secure retirement. It's all about making the good choices and decisions so you don't run into any pitfalls. Many listeners have found me on my website, which is retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. So many people have submitted their questions at the bottom of the website, and I use those same exact questions for future episode topics for this podcast, as well as conversations that I'm having with current clients about their own retirement and maybe issues they're running into. So for whatever reason, I've been getting a lot of questions and emails, people wanting to know what a fiduciary is, and do I recommend working with a fiduciary advisor and someone who works in that capacity? And someone also wanted to know, can I give some examples of someone who works in a fiduciary capacity other than a financial advisor? So I wanted to talk about that on today's episode. And I think why it's so important is a lot of times we give people the benefit of the doubt, and maybe we even assume that someone has our best interest at heart. But what some people run into is that there's some people that that are users out there. And I know it's it's kind of sad, but there's some people that take advantage of other people. So I think that's why fiduciaries and working with a fiduciary in any capacity is so, so important. So we're gonna talk about fiduciaries and all of that, why it's important to work with a fiduciary. We're also gonna talk about another question that I received, how are financial advisors compensated? Give me the black and white, the straight, honest truth. And so we're gonna talk about the three different ways financial advisors can be compensated so you know when you meet with your advisor, you know what to ask them and have them explain to you, how are you paid? I don't mind paying costs or fees as long as I know what they are and that they're disclosed and I know I'm getting a fair deal. For most people, they don't like all the hidden fees. I know I don't, especially like on my cell phone bill and all the surprises. People don't like that. They want straight, honest costs that are transparent, that they can see, that they can understand. And this is just my opinion, but if someone cannot clearly state what their the fee or cost for their services? If they're hiding some things like that, you got to think to yourself: What are all the other things that they're hiding? If they can't even show you the costs or fee that you're actually paying, so we will talk about that in the second segment of the show: the three ways you can compensate a financial advisor. And then the last thing I wanted to touch on on this episode is a lesson that I've learned from a lot of people, and if people can just use this concept and something to avoid, they would be a lot, lot more better off. This particular mistake is almost fatal or can be fatal to somebody's retirement because there's no way to put it in reverse once you've made this choice. So we're going to talk about that as we wrap up this week's episode. Again, if you have questions, visit my website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. While you're there, you can download my 2021 tax planning guide, my couple's guide to a dream retirement, as well as my retirement secret sauce. They're all available for free right there on the website. We don't spam you. We don't send you unsolicited emails. You just kind of get whatever you want for free downloaded there. So again, won't be put on any lists and bombarded with anything like that. Now let's jump into today's episode. This question was from a listener that visited the website and sent me a really nice message, really good questions. And Jenny is her name. Jenny wanted to know, what is a fiduciary? Can I explain what a fiduciary is, where they would come into play, and do I recommend working with a fiduciary financial advisor or does it even matter? And then can I give examples of fiduciaries outside of financial advisors. So I'm gonna cover all of that. So what is a fiduciary? Well, a fiduciary by definition is someone or organization, something that acts on behalf of another person or multiple people putting their best interest ahead of their own. Someone that's gonna work in based on good faith and trust. So if I'm the trustee of my parents' trust, I'm a fiduciary. I have to work out of good faith, and as trustee of this trust, I have to put the trust's best interest ahead of my own at all times, and fiduciaries are ethically and legally responsible. And I love the legally part, because they can be essentially sued if they are found to be negligent and not working in the other party's best interests. So that legal aspect really seems to hold people's feet to the fire. An example of a fiduciary is a very simple example is just a legal guardian of a child. They may be making financial decisions on behalf of the child, and they have to be in the best interest of the child first and foremost, and they have to be in the best interest of the well-being of that child. So fiduciaries can be financial advisors too. I certainly recommend, I would not work with an advisor that was not a fiduciary. Put it that way. I am a fiduciary. I even have a section on my website that, that clients like reading and prospective clients like reading that kind of show the duties of a fiduciary. Fiduciaries are always gonna be honest with you. As we already stated, they are always gonna put your client's best interest ahead of their own at all times, under all circumstances, they're going to act with prudence. I joke with some clients and I say, you know, if this investment wouldn't be suitable or I wouldn't put my own money or my family's money in it, I'm certainly not going to put yours or another client's money in it. And like I said, most importantly, fiduciaries are legally liable. So if something goes wrong and it's truly their fault. They are certainly responsible if they were negligent and they they can be sued for damages. So that is certainly a big responsibility. And really it's an ethical and moral duty that we as financial advisors, in my opinion, have to, to our clients. With that being said, there's plenty, there's many, many financial advisors that don't act as fiduciaries. And all I will say to that is, that is their choice to not act in the fiduciary capacity, I wish they would change their way of doing business because I think everybody deserves an independent advisor who's unbiased, who works in a fiduciary capacity, because that's what people deserve. They deserve honesty and someone who will put their best interests ahead of their own. Other examples of fiduciaries are like a real estate attorney, or maybe it's an estate attorney that you're talking to. They are held to that same standard. If you're the executor of mom or dad's estate, guess what? You're a fiduciary. You have to act in the estate's best interest. You are legally, ethically, morally held to that higher duty of care that we call the fiduciary standard. So if you will ever be the executor of someone's estate, some loved one's estate, well, guess what? You will be a fiduciary in that role as the executor of that estate. So I think fiduciaries are a good thing, especially in this day and age. We want someone who's working in our best interest, that is putting our best interest far above and beyond their own. And a financial advisor is a great example of a fiduciary, someone who sits on the same side of the table as you and is there to help you reach your financial goals together as a team and is not working against you. So, that was a great question from Jenny. Jenny, I appreciate it. We'll be sending you a uh, Yeti mug in the mail. So, thank you for visiting the website and submitting that question. And next, I had another question that someone submitted that was asking for the types of ways that financial advisors are compensated so they have a better understanding of what it's going to cost. So, there are three possible ways that a financial advisor can charge their fee for their service, whatever it is. There are three different ways you can write these down. Number one is going to be a flat hourly fee. It could be even a flat amount, like $1,000 for planning services. It's very similar to attorneys. Attorneys will typically charge by the hour. It may be $100 an hour or $200 an hour. So some financial advisors can charge by the hour. In some occasions, I will charge $200 an hour for my services. The way we work is you pay at the end. After the service is completed, we've presented all of our research and all of our work, you would just pay the hourly fee at the end. Some advisors may want half up front, half at the end. And that's totally fine as well, as long as it is presented to you and it's agreed upon in the beginning. So that's number one. Now, keep in mind, not all advisors can charge hourly or fixed fees for for planning services. Some can, some can't, depending on what certifications that they have and also depending on what licenses they have. So that's the first possibility is someone is going to charge you an hourly rate. That's pretty straightforward. Number two is commission. It would be commission compensation. So the financial advisor would simply earn a commission based on the sale of some kind of product, whether it's an insurance product, whether it's an investment product, whatever it is. I'm gonna keep my example very, very simple. Let's say you purchase a product and there's a 5% commission. So if you purchase an investment product, you put $100,000 in, well, guess what? 5% commission comes right off the top So then you have $95,000 that is then invested in the investment product. Maybe it was an insurance product. I don't know. So commissions, that's very similar to like a real estate agent's commission. So you're paying the advisor through a commission. Sometimes the insurance product or the investment product has the commission baked into it. So you don't really get to see what that commission was. My personal opinion, I think all commissions need to be disclosed to people so they know how is this person getting paid? This is also very similar to the old days when you had stock brokers. If you purchased a stock and there was a 2% commission, so if you purchased $100,000 of stock, well, guess what? You paid a $2,000 transaction commission and you received $98,000 of stock. That's how the stockbrokers made their money. On this podcast, I am straightforward with people. I don't beat around the bushes. Guess what? I think there's a conflict of interest when it comes to commissions. So for example, if I'm working with a stockbroker and I know he or she can only make money when you buy or sell a stock, well, probably they're going to be recommending that you're buying and selling maybe more frequently than you need to because the only way they can get paid is is if you buy or sell a stock in this example, and then they charge you a 2% commission. Now, was that stock, that purchase or sale of the stock, paying that commission really in your best interest? Or did that advisor need a new set of tires on his truck? I don't know, you tell me. In my opinion, and this is the opinion of Greg Gonzalez only, I think there's a huge, huge conflict of interest here and a red flag. And if I was the consumer, if I was the client, I would say, you know, that, I don't feel too good about that. With that being said, commissions are still a very legal way of doing business. And my only issue is they need to be disclosed. And we really need to address this apparent conflict of interest. So for myself personally, the only commissions that we receive are through term life insurance. Other than that, we are fee-based. So we went over the hourly fee. That's the first way an advisor could be compensated. Maybe it's $100 or $200 an hour. Second way is commission-based. That is kind of the old dinosaur way of doing things, but there are still plenty of advisors who make their living strictly off of commissions. Number three is through an advisory fee. So all an advisory fee is, it's an annual cost that comes out of your account. Let's call it 1%, because typically it's gonna be around 1% per year. It's gonna depend on how much money is in the accounts that you have. Typically the higher the account value, the lower the fee. So if in our example, your account at the end of the year was up 10% and you paid a 1% advisory fee that came out in increments throughout the year, maybe it was quarterly, Well, guess what? Without the fee, your account would have been up 11%, but you paid a 1% annual advisory fee, so your account was only up 10%. The thing most people like about the annual advisory fee is it's disclosed up front. You know what you're going to be paying. And on your statements, on your account statements, you can actually see the advisory fee that's coming out of your account and that's paying your financial advisor. So me personally, I really like this because it's very transparent and it's straightforward and you see what you're actually paying. There's no hidden fees. There's no surprises. So this advisory fee or annual management fee is becoming more and more popular because I think people are wising up and they're saying, hey, I'm sick of all the hidden cost and the the hidden agendas. We want a straightforward annual fee that we know, that we can see, that we can check. And really the best thing, in my opinion, about this arrangement with an annual advisory fee is it keeps both parties engaged, right? So we meet with clients either semi-annually or annually, either through Zoom, phone meeting, or in person where we can kind of catch up, we can show them their progress, we can update their retirement plan, and we can make adjustments as we go, and we can keep things updated, because life is always going to give you those curveballs. But if you think about it, let's think back to the second way an advisor can be paid, which is through commissions. And I'll just, just from my own experience, the clients that I get that were under that arrangement from their former advisor, they never heard from the person. They never reached out proactively. There was very little relationship because the advisor, in my opinion, had probably already earned their commission and they were moving on to the next person. And so there's very little service after the sale when it comes to those commission relationships. At least that's just in my personal experience. Someone may argue with me, but service after the sale when the advisor earns a commission was pretty much non-existent in my experience. And that's really, really a sad thing because people deserve better. So in my opinion, the advisory fee, advisory management fee or cost seems to work out best for all those reasons that we stated. And anymore, it's becoming more and more popular. Most fiduciaries utilize this way. So I hope that helps you understand the three different ways financial advisors can be compensated. And the last thing I want to leave you with is I had a new client come to me and they said their old financial advisor said, there is no fee. There is no fee to work with me. There's there's no cost, but we got to buy these investments. I told them, you got to run the other way because there's something they're not telling you. Nobody works for free. And there's no way that that financial advisor can be driving around in a BMW if he works for free. So just kind of use your gut feeling that you have every once in a while when someone tells you something that's off the wall like that. Okay. And the last thing I wanted to end this podcast with was this, this rule of thinking that some people have, and it is such a, such a fatal mistake. And I've seen it time and time again, and it gets people into a jam that they can't get out of for years, if ever. And I've learned this throughout the years, just talking to people and just the way they think. And I can give countless examples, countless examples of this. I'll give you one example. Back in 2008, we all remember the, the financial crisis. I had someone called me. They said they were the brother of a client. They wanted to cash out their 401k and put it all into GM stock, put everything into GM stock because it was at an all-time low and it had to bounce back. The government had to buy out or bail out, I'm sorry, a General Motors. Well, guess what? I told them, I don't believe in the all or nothing thinking. If you're going to do this, and it's against my advice, I would say only do a portion Well, as it turned out, this person didn't follow my advice, went the all or nothing route. And guess what? If you remember what happened to General Motors stock, it went to zero. General Motors, they filed for bankruptcy. This guy literally put his life savings into General Motors stock and it went to zero and he lost it all. I can give you more than enough examples if we kept going on. Whether someone dumps their entire nest egg into one annuity, one 10-year annuity, and then a couple of years down the road, they find out it's garbage. It's not what they thought they were getting. Well, guess what? If they would have only done a portion, they wouldn't have their hands tied. So just like when you're going to the buffet, you don't have to eat everything in the buffet. You can get a little salad, a little of this. It's all about portion control, whether it's your investments or something else. And when you're putting all the eggs in one basket, that's a very, very risky situation to be in. And we really need to abandon this all or nothing, just way of thinking. Let's say you're wanting to sell a mutual fund or stock. Well, you don't have to sell it all. You can sell a portion. Everybody always thinks, oh, if I'm going to sell the stock, I got to sell all of it. No, just sell a portion, harvest some of the gains or some of the losses. So please rethink if, if you're having that all or nothing mentality, you know, the go big or go home. Just really, I think many, many people would be better off if they exercise this portion control. Maybe sell a portion or buy a portion or incorporate just a portion into some strategy. So I hope that helps. Again, portion control, it'll be very, very favorable to you over the long haul. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Retirement Made Easy podcast. I know I did. If you have questions, look me up on my website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. And remember, always dream big. unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. The Smart vester program is a directory of investment professionals. Neither Dave Ramsey nor Smart vester are affiliates of St. Louis Retirement Advisors or LPL Financial. There is no guarantee that a diversified portfolio will enhance overall returns or outperform a non-diversified portfolio. Diversification does not protect against market risk. All investing involves risk, including loss of principal. No Strategy assures success or protects against loss. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, SIPC.